WPFW Washington. With a son who dreamt of acting in plays Demonstration with a man had her trapped in a maze Trying to find herself again, much of that she a game Love can free us, true with some react as a slave Funny, we love her more when they relaxed in a grave Wonder if a thug is raw is Greetings, peace and blessings You are tuned in to Led by Love Where we're reimagining youth justice I'm Clinton Lacey and I'm joined via phone by my fabulous co-host, Linda Harley Harper. Linda, are you there? Momentarily, she will be, though. I promised you, all of you who, uh, listeners, and those who are first time listening, welcome to Led by Love. Uh, we are here, as always, to talk about issues that relate to an ongoing process of reimagining what justice is, what justice can be. For us, it's not just about... Uh, a tweak here, a reform there, but it's about a reimagination, a thinking of how can you work with uh, such entrenched entities as justice systems and jails and detention centers and courts and what have you, and actually uh, reimagine something and then go about the business of 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 realizing that reimagination. And so we're very excited this evening. Uh, we have some um, amazing guests, some true uh, national leaders. Um, international, I would even say, because the world is watching and we do get visits from around the world coming to Washington, D.C. to see what's happening and see what the innovations are. And so we're really excited to talk to, to, to a number of our, our guests tonight who have, a, who have a number of perspectives on uh, what that reimagination can be in our justice system. But before that, we do that, we would like to spend a little bit of time learning what's happening uh, in the world out there. I believe we've been joined by our fabulous co-host, Linda Harley Harper. Linda, are you there? I'm here, Clint. How are you? Good, good. Great to have you, have <laughs> us back in the saddle again here on Led by Love. It's It's been a minute. Um, this is a great topic to start off back, right? Yeah, it is. It is in 2020 here, and so as we continue to push things forward. So um, before we move forward with our conversation, um, I would like to first uh, go to the news with Alyssa Taylor. Thank you, Clint. Any and everyone who has had social media accounts over the past couple of days is now familiar with the inspirational hashtag GirlDad. ESPN anchor Elle Duncan detailed an account of one of her interviews with the late Kobe Bryant. She tearfully discussed how much he enjoyed being a father to four girls with the reporter. Duncan was eight months pregnant with her daughter at the time and recalls Bryant telling her that he would have five more girls if he could. I'm a girl dad. 
Since then, fathers and daughters have been inspired to share pictures honoring that special father-daughter relationship. To date, more than 363,000 pictures with the hashtag were posted on Instagram. ESPN reported that on February 16th at the NBA All-Star Game, they will completely overhaul this year in order to honor the life and legacy of five-time champion Kobe Bryant. The league plans to have one team wear number 24 in honor of Kobe and the other to wear number two in honor of his daughter Gianna. Bryant and his 13-year-old daughter Gianna died in a helicopter crash on January 26th. Dozens of black men in Philadelphia responded to an offer on social media for free therapy services created specifically for them. Black Men Heal, a nonprofit that provides free therapy to men across Philadelphia, initially posted an offer, offer on social media and were so overwhelmed by the response that they quickly realized that beyond awareness, an urgent need is to increase resources and to meet the demand. Mental health issues for black communities in both the Philadelphia region and nationwide are hitting a breaking point. Headlines warn of rising suicide rates among black youth or proclaim that growing health crisis. The problem extends to adults, too. Suicide was the second leading cause of death for African Americans ages 15 to 24 in 2017, according to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health. And black adults are 20% more likely to develop a debilitating mental health condition during their lifetime than their white counterparts. Working with men in private practice, they saw how much men opened up in the safe space of the therapy room. They said that they seemed to be emotionally starving, yet didn't realize their symptoms were hunger pains and a consistent meal could soothe. These sessions showed firsthand how many men are socially conditioned into wearing masculinity masks and and that add to trauma, depression, and anxiety. It was announced today that Cook County Jail in Illinois received $2.5 million more million from the MacArthur Foundation for Criminal Justice Reform, a rare issue that unifies county officials. MacArthur remains committed to supporting jurisdictions as they set ambitious reform goals and pursue smart solutions that safely reduce jail populations, address disparities, and eliminate ineffective, inefficient, and unfair practices, MacArthur Director of Criminal Justice Lori Gardecue said in a release. The grant comes in addition to a $1.85 million pledge in 2017. The new money will go towards several areas. Lawyers and court-appointed personnel will determine why defendants with low bail cannot post. Peer mentors could be provided for people with repeat arrests. Nonviolent defendants in drug-dealing cases could be offered help getting jobs. And a better look would go into the process that could be set up to allow those with years-old warrants to address them at a future court date. That's your news. I'm Elisa Taylor for Led by Love. Thank you, Elisa. And, I, you know, you, your first story, I think, is something that we definitely want to just pause for a moment um, to talk about. And certainly it will be inside and wrapped up in so many of our conversations going forward for a number of reasons. And that's, of course, the, the horrible tragedy regarding Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gigi and the rest of the young people and families uh, killed and impacted, you know, by that by that crash and and so um you know linda i I was thinking about that and you know i'm sure for everyone everyone who's heard of this tragedy and however close they were to him personally or even knowing basketball his career just was impacted by it it feels like one of those tragedies that just marks time It's, it's one of those things where you where everyone will remember where they were when they heard it right one of those tragedies you know, and I, I think that, it, you know, as a young person, you know, those of us of various ages, many of us had a chance to watch him grow up, right? To watch him mature from a teenager to a, to a man and in his own way, although an NBA star, an NBA player at like 17 or 18. Right, 17, um, yeah. Right. But, you know, um, still went through his growing pains like all young people do, right? <laughs> Regardless of their circumstance. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, and those, some, some of us watched it, some of us of, of certain age grew up with him, you know, uh, but I think all shared this, um, who, who, who were, were all familiar, shared this, uh, interest in watching this unfolding of a human being, this unfolding of a man. Uh, and it was just something, uh, pretty amazing, tragic that it ended, but definitely sets an example, I believe. 
No, absolutely. It's been great to um, kind of hear about how much he was able to accomplish in his retirement. Um, he had accomplished so much in a little bit of time. It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. And so, you know, I, as as we move on and even as we think about um, our interest in our work and the conversation this evening, you know, it's about um, reimagining oneself, the continuing unfolding and development. I think that's what the work is all about, right? Providing space and opportunity for people to to uh, the word I'm using today for some reason, to unfold, to blossom, right, to develop. Um, and tonight, you know, we're actually talking about um, some of the latest developments with a program and a place that's called the Young Men Emerging Unit. And it happens to be at the D.C.'s Department of Corrections, where young people um, are recognized as adults at the age of 18. But emerging science about brain development suggests that real maturity in adulthood doesn't happen until the mid-20s, right, it's just, but particularly with boys. Um, and so this unit is, a, I think, a, a, I know is a cutting-edge um, innovation in this nation around what's possible in corrections and thinking about young men's and young people's um, development. And the Department of Corrections, with the assistance of the Credible Messenger Initiative at the Department of Youth Rehabilitation, Service, Rehabilitation Services, has worked on a mentorship program housed at the D.C. jail. And that's what we want to talk about this evening. We are so happy to be joined by the renowned, he's renowned in this town, folks, and many of you already know it. And definitely, I'm a fan. I know, Linda, you are of director Quincy Booth, right? Um, Who was just really reimagining what a department of corrections can be and and just really has masterfully pushed through programs such as the Young Men's Emerging Unit um, to to demonstrate what's possible. Um, So welcome, Quincy. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm humbled to be here. And thank you. Absolutely. Really happy to have you. We're also, yeah, we're also joined by Charles Dotson, who has a um, extensive history working with marginalized young people, youth and families, and um, also uh, quite a track record working with Credible Messenger programs, first in New York City and now um, in Washington, D.C., helping us to manage the Credible Messenger program here and has you know, been part of the partnership between DYRS and DO and the Department of Corrections. So uh, welcome, Charles. Welcome, Clint. Thank you. Absolutely. So why don't we just, um, you know, jump into the conversation and um, maybe I'll, I'll go back a little bit in history before we come up to what Quincy uh, is doing at the Department of Corrections. Charles, could you talk a little bit, just put in the context for us um, how Credible Messenger has unfolded um, here in D.C. And, um, and, and we'll get into the conversation about the partnership and what's happening at the Young Men Emerging Unit. Well, thank you, and and I'm always enlightened to talk about the work. Um, because, Clint, you've been uh, on the forefront of expanding Credible Messenger, um, not just on in New York City, but here in D.C. Um, since we've uh, been in D.C., we've partnered with the D- with DYRS and worked with young people who are uh, involved uh, and living in the eight wards of the city. Um, but partner with six credible messenger providers who serve our young people that are committed to the agency. Um, we've done a tremendous amount of work with those young people and seen uh, fantastic outcomes with our young people. Uh, but since then, we've expanded to work with the Office of Neighborhood Safety and Engagement. We have a credible messenger partnering with the Pathway Program over there. Uh, we have credible messengers working um, in D.C. public libraries um, in the Shaw area. Um, and then one of the more prominent work that we've done and we want to highlight tonight is work that we've done on the Young Men's Emerging Unit. Um, in April of last year, um, for five uh, straight days, uh, a team of uh, credible messenger leaders went in and started working with the men in the Young Men's Emerging Unit and uh, helped uh, counsel 24 men to be credible messengers on the YME unit. And that was like one of the most groundbreaking and phenomenal uh, partnerships that we've had thus far. 
Yeah, that's been it's really amazing to hear you walk through and, and talk talk through it. You know, we've we've all been a part of this process, but just to sit back and hear you describe the ex, uh, expansion. And uh, Quincy, Director Booth. Meanwhile, you're at DOC, imagining and then implementing and orchestrating this amazing. Uh, um, idea and practice called the Young Men Emerging Unit. Could you talk about that, and then how how did it intersect with Credible Messenger? Sure, sure. So again, thank you, and thank you in advance for just the partnership and uh, you know spirit of love that we continuously uh, work together because these are our people, uh, whether they're in your care or my care. These are oftentimes multiple generations. So I just want to say off the break, I thank you um, for that relationship and unconditional support and love that both you as well as Linda have uh, shown over the years. Uh, so really quickly, the Young Men Emerging program started in 2018. Um, and I don't actually, and you can continue to call it program director, but I Per, per se, I don't like to call it a program because I think sometimes when we label things as programs, it sort of has an end point. Yes. And um, for me, in concept, it was sort of thought about as a program, but over time it has become a part of the community within the DOC, both at the CDF and the CTF. And so conceptually what it is is um, it's on both units, uh, again, we have one at CDF and CTF. Uh, we have a mentee and a mentor model where there's about f five to seven mentors and on average 20 to 30 uh, mentees on the unit. The mentees are between the ages of 18 to 25 and the mentors are not. Um, they're older uh, per se and they've had lived experiences. Um, we do sort of a selection in ensuring that we have, you know, credible uh, mentors on the model, on the unit um, to just ensure that they know how to interact and they know how to engage with the young people. And they serve as an outlet um, for the mentees, as you mentioned, um, sort of reimagining this and how this actually got started was um I knew about the brain development and, and we've historically in this country we've known about brain development for a really long period of time. It's just now becoming sort of the buzz right. and trendy uh, thing. But what I knew and I saw day in and day out is that granted we may classify the 18 to 25 as an adult, but they were still acting like children and doing sort of juvenile childish uh, behaviors and they needed a place where they can explore but also a place where they can heal while they were serving time at hmm. the DOC. And so the healing part was the part that we sort of looked through the lens heavily on, as well as through the lens of love to say, how do we love through this situation on the men that we have on this unit, both the adults as well, excuse me, both the 18 to 25, as well as the mentors. And so, we sent the uh, mentors through a rigorous training uh, that talked about how do you actually mentor because, you know, oftentimes, and we know this director, that we will classify somebody as a mentor, but, you know, it takes special arts and special skills that, you know, we sent them through an intensive uh, training. And they also had real-life experiences that they could lend itself to the unit. And so, again, we started in 2018, you know, on the unit with some concepts and some ideas, but we before we implemented it, we actually met with the founding mentors, both Joel mm. um, and, and Mike. Um, and I'm not saying their last name just because I didn't get permission, but I'll say their first names and many people know them to say, is this the right way that we're going? And so they also inform different ingredients that we needed to have on the unit that I can unpack um, a little bit later. But it's been in existence since 2018. We started over at the CDF. Uh, excuse me, the CTF, and then expand it over the last month at the CDF. And it's um, it's exceeded my expectation in the sense of the community of how they show love and support, and they're able to heal some of the impact that has happened over their lives. Wow. That's just Quincy, amazing. Go ahead, Linda. Quincy, can you hey. talk a little bit about how you selected the mentors? 
Sure, sure. So uh, the mentors, which was really unique, because again, we are jail. And so by and large, people are with us, you know, for it, it varies in the sense of time. Um, again, we're a jail. And so when they're sentenced felons, they generally will go away to the Bureau of Prisons. And so again, we generally have people for a short period of time. But we were, um, as we know, with the IRA bill, we've had an influx of people coming back from the Bureau of Prisons that were sentenced as juveniles. But now they're having their cases reexamined by the courts. And so some of them we selected from that pool because they've they've had real life experiences in the sense of they've been in the Bureau for 20 plus years, but they went away as a juvenile. And in some cases, um, these are people that um, are sort of legends within the community because of things that they have done, whether we're looking at it in a positive lens or a negative lens, but they were people that are held in a high regards. Um, and then they also had to have a level of passion. And so I'm not going to say all the IRAs, you know, volunteered and stood up, but there were a group of men that really said, I want to give back and I want to contribute to the community. And I don't want young people to go down a path that I actually went down. Um, and I want to show that love and support. And so again, we, um, we interviewed them and we did a group dynamic interview with some of the other residents that's on the unit that helped out to say, would this person be appropriate, um, as a mentor? And then after they were selected, then we, um, gave a, it was minimum 40 hours of training and development, but it continues throughout. And that also partnered with some of the work that we've done with you all regarding the credible messenger. And so, so Charles, you know, as we listen to Director Booth, it's, it's really clear about this, what, what we often talk about that this idea of credible messenger isn't a new thing, right? It's a, it's an age old concept, really, that people with shared life experience, um, have a particular insight and opportunity to build trusting, um, relationships. Um, but the, uh, connection and shared life experience is one element, but there's, it's once you build that trust, what do you do with it? Um, and so I'm just curious to hear from you, Charles, as you listen to Director Booth describe credible messenger work, even before the formal partnership took place, right? With the selection of mentors, um, uh, how that bridge was built. And so as we came together, um, how did you see our credi- the credible messenger work connecting to the young men emerging units uh, concept and approach? Well, first off, I just want to celebrate you and Director Booth um, because you all are are really gro- doing some groundbreaking work and and your mindset in stepping into this work is is breaking the norm and and I really want to celebrate you because. You've always accepted, you know, people that, you know, have been deemed poor or incarcerated or neglected and excluded. And um, and you recognize that people who might have walked through that journey might be the best people to come back and help partner with someone to bring them out of that situation and the standing that they're in in their lives. You know, what I've always understood about the criminal justice system and particularly with the juvenile justice system is we don't send crimes jail we send people people who have families Mm. and 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 uh brothers and sisters and parents um people who have feelings and emotions um and so we have to recognize that there's a human being there that needs love and support and encouragement and empowerment and uh you've always recognized that uh people who've had a similar life experience that have overcome you know that's seen the horizon can go back and extend their hand and bring those people to the other side. So uh, that's what the work is. But I truly want to celebrate your your mindset and Director Booth's mindset and being willing to partner with the community in this manner. Well, thank you very much. I mean, thank you. The, the, you know, and it's it's a it's an honor to you know to have the opportunity to just uh, uh, work with the amazing group of people, right? And and that's the amazing thing, you know, the partnership between credible messengers and folks running systems and people working for government and people entrenched in the grassroots of the community. Um, It's a pretty amazing experience. And, you know, one of the things, Charles, um, as you were talking, I was also thinking about through the credible messenger work and engagement of young people, 
there's a there's a practice of of new habits, a de- development of new habits, of n- a new language, of resolving conflicts, of coping skills. It's sort of a a culture shift, right, from a from a from a from an oppressive culture that that fosters you know negativity and what have you to to a more life affirming, positively focused culture. Director Booth, inside of YME, there's actually a culture. Mm-hmm. It's not just a place, Correct. right, where people are. Can you talk about that? Like it's like an economy and a whole way of living. So what I'll say is, and in, in just echoing what you and Charles stated, I think oftentimes sort of in our work and director, you can, it's very few people to really understand our role. I think they they sort of, imply what they believe that it is, but it's hard for them to conceptually understand it because they sometimes may see the crime or they may sometimes see the numbers, but we in this work, if you really want to be honest around it, you see the people, right? Mm -hmm. And so when seeing people and seeing the humanity in a person, I think oftentimes sort of just the expansion of understanding what Brian Stevenson says, which is a quote that I sort of live by. We're not our worst mistake. Mm, right. And when understanding that someone's not their worst mistake, we often say to people and young people and older people, what's wrong with you? You know what I mean? As opposed to really understanding what happened to you. And so we in this space sort of provide that opportunity in the sense of community of Understanding what happened to a person and, and gradually, because it doesn't happen overnight, of understanding the trauma, understanding the impact, understanding sort of family dynamics, understanding, you know, positive and negative behavior and how do they sort of move forward from there. And so to that end, we said, how do we create a structure and an environment that would be sort of a microcosm of what we would love for a community to be? And mm-hmm. so to answer your wow. question earlier, you know, we have a banking and a currency system uh, that they print off their own dollars that they earn money for, wow. uh, for just various things, whether if it's chores around the space, whether if it's them going to school, uh, writing reflections, um, just various things they will receive dollars for. However, the bank is only open from eight to eight fifteen because it, we are intending to, to teach, you know, the financial literacy aspect of it. And oftentimes we, we have been sort of conformed by using other means and we can go to the ATM anytime or we can use our card, but it was a different dynamics when you exchange those dollars from your hand and you have to, you know, the real money in your hand. And if you miss those banking hours, you're sort of stuck like Chuck. And so I remember that. (laughs) So to that end, we have the banking early in the morning and then they have a community conversation, which starts directly after that everybody has to participate in. And they have various conversations from, Toxic, excuse me, not toxic because we don't want to label it in the negative form, but healthy masculinity, um, which happens every Tuesday that really has been sort of the core of understanding how to be healthy as a man and some of the negative stereotypes uh, that have been labeled on men and in particularly men of color and how we're sort of trying to unpack that and and treat women with respect and treat our communities with respect and love um as well as one of the other bigger components uh beyond the community conversation is um the opportunity for them to participate in in college um or obtain their GED or some level of trade but that is a requirement to be on the unit is that you have to participate in some educational opportunities that are offered there so we offer them from again GED or GED prep all the way to college that we have the college partners. So from Howard to Georgetown to Ashland, uh, to American as well as UDC. And hopefully I didn't forget, uh, one of the, the college partners. Um, and then in the afternoon, sort of again, making it sort of the microcosm of what a community looks like. We've opened up the space for a lot of our community partners to come. And so we've had, um, judges come into the space. We've had directors like yourself and and other directors within D.C. government as well as federal government come in. Um, we've had community leaders come in um, as well as just regular normal people that just want to come in and sort of share space um, and just have a conversation. I think oftentimes we sort of take for granted people's exposure level. And one thing that we saw that was a common theme is that a lot of our young people and some of the mentors didn't have the level of exposure or connection to positive images and positive people. So it's really helpful when 
they get to see the community members come in and sort of talk about uh, what their career has looked like, um, as well as what are some of the challenges and struggles that they may have, because I always want to have that balance. Because I think another thing that we've discovered is that sometimes uh, people that are in our care think that they're the only ones with challenges and everybody else's life is perfect. And so it's helpful for them to have um, just that conversation as well as, again, I'm really happy with the partnership that we have with the judges in both courts where they come in and and don't, for the most part, talk about individual cases because they can't, but they just show you know, a level of love and they talk about various topics where one judge has started a book club, another judge has come in to talk about the Constitution or just various topics, which is really helpful for them because traditionally when they see the judge, they don't see them as a a human being uh, per se, and they begin to see the humanity uh, in the judges. And so that's sort of a day. So it's never just a day where they're just, you know, granted they have their free time for the most part in, in other curriculum curricular activities that they can do right but for the most part it's a structured uh day wow and, and you know linda i know you've you also have seen a lot in this district over time with regards to the system and um as a person who was um you know uh integral to this this partnership i i know you've found this to just be pretty amazing if i can yeah. speak for you there <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely i think I think the first time that I came back to the office after visiting the YME unit, it was so hard to even describe it because it just right. felt so good. It just, it's the, um, you know, and Quincy, I don't want us to get through this show without talking about the amazing staff that you have working on the unit there to help to create the culture that has um, become such a part of, it's the foundation of what makes the program work. Yes, uh, thank you for that. Uh, re- uh, and it wasn't necessarily because I would had it in my notes to actually talk about. So it, in this work that we talk about, Director Lacey is sort of reimagining. This has been sort of like, and not to say that we had n- not at the department before I arrived, sort of reimagine how we do the work, right? But this has been definitely a space that people can look to and say, hey, we know that we can do some things differently, you know, and better. And so really happy about the team far as the uniform staff as well as the non-uniform staff that show up day in and day out and really, um, you know, love and care. Oftentimes, correctional staff, they don't necessarily get the positive uh, reps, but I would say we have some of the best teammates uh, at the Department of Corrections, uh, hands down. Yeah, and I, I definitely want to talk about that some more and talk about them and their role in this in this partnership, right? Mm-hmm. There's several people, mm-hmm. several groups, several stakeholders represented here. So let's talk about that when we come back. Sure. We're going to take a, a brief uh, break. We're listening to Led by Love on WPFW 89.3 FM. Tell me, friend, how the world 
Not too close. With StubHub, choose the right seat for you. Well, part of this conversation, too, when we talk about Credible Messenger, uh, this innovative young men emerging unit where we have um, this culture uh, change in practice where young men are emerging, um, what kinds of possibilities are there for them when they come home? Charles, I wanted to go to you on that question and just talk about the um, the evolution of opportunity um, for credible messengers. Again, n- not a new concept, but certainly um, a vast room and need for growth and expansion, right? Which equals opportunity for, for young men and women who are, who have been inside of the system. What what are your thoughts about that evolution? I know you've, you've talked about that and watched that evolution take place and help to foster it, of course. Yes. So, um, it's really, like I said, groundbreaking work. I mean, in New York, we started with 19 providers across the five boroughs of New York city and created several credible messenger jobs all across the city of uh, New York. And then here, um, we've uh, partnered with multiple uh, D.C. government agencies um, and have created the opportunity to have 75 credible messenger staff working in the district. But I really want to highlight the work that we actually did in the YME unit. Um, The reason that we were there um, is to train uh, the men that are on that unit who have an uh, idea that m- they might want to be uh, credible messengers. So it's one to work with the, the younger population that is there. So there was like 19 um, residents of the YME unit that were there, but there was five mentors that we trained to mentor those men. And we wanted to equip them with the skills so if they wanted to come out and work with young people in the community, that they have the, the, the talents and abilities to uh, help work with our young people. So while we were there, uh, we trained them on trauma-informed care and, and integrity and boundaries and restorative justice and uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, positive youth justice. So we equipped them with the skills to come out um, and mentor young people in the community. Um, so, you know, many of them said that, you know, I, I once impacted the community in a negative way, and now I want to give something back positive because I understand where they came from. Um, and no one could give them the story like I can and make it an impact the way I can. And so, and, go, please, Linda. And I was just going to add that, you know, the, in the way that the partnership was formed between DYRS and DOC is when we were doing the research around taking on the young people who were charged as adults and DYRS taking on the custody of those young people. Um, I went to visit the YME unit in the jail and um, did a focus group with those guys. And Quincy, thank you again for just really opening your doors, literally to allow us to come in and just uh, be around all of the creative spirits on your team to try to figure out the best way that we wanted to uh, handle the transition of young people in the system. And what we realized was that, uh, you know, I came back to the office saying that uh, the the men on this unit and the power they had to um, just 
to help to reach the young people and engage them was so powerful to witness and to watch. It just was a really um, a natural mentorship. And when we did the focus group, all of the men said they wanted to return, such a large number wanted to return to our communities and work with young people. And so the partnership was just perfect to combine Credible Messenger training with the YME unit because it helped to further equip the men on the unit uh, to be better mentors uh, to the mentees, but also it helped to give them um, a foundation so that when they come home, they'll be able to use that foundation and working with young people. And, and Director Booth, how was it? How would you describe this, the evolution of the staff's understanding, buy-in, and contribution to it? Wow. So I would say for some it's been uh, difficult, uh, for some it's been easy, and for some it's just been a natural sort of transition. Uh, yes. So um, by and large, and it depends because I'm not even going to necessarily say it depends on the years of service in which they've been in the work. Um, you and I both know we're brutally honest about our system and the system that was created that predates you and I as far yes. as the years that we've been on this earth. They were never sort of designed right. uh, to do what it is that we're trying to do, right? I think right. you're a little bit different in the sense of there's some innovation that occurs for juveniles because we believe in this country that young people, as far as juveniles, can be rehabilitated, but we're not fully, yes, fully to a there extent, yet yes. uh, around sort of the adults. So even in your space, you have a sort of re-engineered space that is conducive to the things that you need, but we're still, you know, going through that process now exactly. around our building and what it actually looks like when we reimagine replacing both facilities, right? Because yes. again, they were sort of designed 40 plus years ago to do sort of the warehousing. And so when you sort of couple that with people sort of formalized understanding and belief in this work it was sort of like wait we're doing this as opposed to right. this and not necessarily saying anything punitive i'm just saying in the sense of sort of the engagement and saying hey how are you doing what's going on how's your family do you need anything things that we would normally say in a supportive way if we're saying bigger picture because i think you know i i took this coin when you and I, we were in a, a meeting together away and, and a person said something that was simple, but it was also true. What kind of neighbor do you want to have returned to the community? And I That's think right. if we fundamentally sort of ask that question, there will be some different actions and intentions that we would do. And so to that extent, we, um, we have a spectrum of people that are fully sort of on board of the work on the unit. Um, and there's some people that, that it still will take some additional development and an additional training and not saying that they're in an adversarial way. It's just that sure. conceptually we've historically trained and developed people to do something differently that we're now saying, Hey, it's okay to say hello. Well, I'm not saying he didn't say necessarily hello, sure. but it's deeper things that we are now sort of asking to get that better understanding uh, from the young people as well as the mentors that we historically have not done. So for example, um, in some cases, the mentors can resolve conflicts in a way that if we sort of step in, it it could take it to another level. And so before it gets escalated, the mentors and we've developed this sort of trusting relationship and there are never really any bad incidents, but sometimes right. there's just disagreements and the mentors show up in a way to say, I can talk to them. Just give me a few seconds. And That's they right. wind up talking sometimes for hours and it, sometimes yields a better result and or you know we sort of have from an impact standpoint where they collectively do it together so sometimes it's a group effort as it relates to the mentor and the staff member whether it's a uniform or not uniform um uh, teammate no that that's so true you know and it, it goes back to what you said earlier about when you were talking about you know brain science and development and human development you know someone was asking me earlier today about what were some of the selling points um, to innovate in the juvenile justice space, right? Mm -hmm. And I was talking about one of those selling points is to say, well, children are different, mm -hmm. right? They're young. Mm -hmm. They still have and deserve a chance to mm -hmm. develop and grow and to become healthy adults. Um, and of course, 
um, legal systems everywhere, including here, faced with this, what I would have to refer to arbitrary line drawn, where somehow 18 is an adult, right? And that's a legal, that's a political issue, obviously. But we know biologically, psychologically, culturally, that they're young people, mm -hmm. right? 18, 19, 20, all the way up, as you were describing before. And so what happens is... And some it's beyond that. And that <laughs> yes. That's right. Dependent that's, upon exposure. Right. It's what my grandmother, who wasn't a psychologist, called going up fool's hill, right? That's that right. process of being a young person and figuring out and maturing. Yep. That you and I experienced in college. That's right. That all say. of us. Yep. Exactly. Right. That all young people. What happens, it seems, and then listening to you, is... Um, while there's an argument to treat kids differently, it begs the question of what do we, who, who are children? Like, what, where do we cut that off? So your space, the adult space is a more difficult space, as you've described, to make the arguments. But what's so amazing about what you're doing and, and what the Credible Messenger uh, Partnership is showing is that you can do this with young men, with quote-unquote adults, that this doesn't stop at 18 or 19 or 20, that in fact, I would argue that we can even, and I believe there is an influence on overall incarceration period, on what human beings can do and how they can uh, thrive. So generally, you and I are on the same page, and so I always appreciate sharing space with you, because I know I have a trusted partner I can look at that sometimes people are like, what is he talking about? So <laughs> right. uh, once again, I appreciate Likewise. you for, for that, uh, my friend. But I would say, by and large, I don't. I wouldn't cut it off at 25. I think at the right. end of the day, the core piece of Credible Messenger and sort of the innovation that we are at least looking at looking through the lens of love, but also looking through the lens of understanding the person. And I think you and I would hate to sort of go into a restaurant and someone just gives us food, you know, without saying, what would you like? Even if we've <laughs> right. been there multiple times, it's still like, give me the ability to explain myself. What I may want today may be totally different from tomorrow. And so it's sort of opening up which is, again, difficult in, in spaces like you and I have when we have a large number of people there. Granted, we are striving to do it more and more, and we're thinking of innovative ways. But when we understand the person and not necessarily the number or not necessarily the offense and sort of say, how do we unpack this, as well as how do we provide a space opportunities for you to heal um, and then connect you up with someone that has a level of integrity as well as understanding your trauma. We think we're on the right path of making a successful U-turn. And oftentimes, we don't necessarily do that. Indeed. And, was, and Quincy, I wanted to just add to what you were saying because one of the most powerful moments that sticks with me is when I visited the unit and there was a group going on and one of the young men was sharing that he was sharing something for the first time that had been mm. harmful to him. I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yep, and, and something that happened to him in his childhood, and he had been carrying it around mm -hmm. for so very long. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he, he said this was the first time he shared it in a circle with men, mm -hmm. and wow. everyone, the empathy and the compassion that was shown from the men to him is something that I, it was just so powerful, but it also showed how, you know, when how we we talk all the time about hurt people hurt people right mm -hmm. but when you start talking about those kind of things impacting um the recidivism rate right because you're when you're healed you're just a better human being when you're healed Correct. right and, and i mean and thank you that trauma I appreciate you, Linda, for bringing it up, because even in that recognition, that young person with the mentor brought up the piece where he said, I think I now understand why I participated in certain things, because I've never addressed this major thing that actually has happened in my life that has sort of put me in a paralyzed space. And so we were able to, you know, get him support and help uh, through our behavioral health services that we have at the facility. And it's a continual thing that we know that people have to, you know, address their trauma. But the first thing around addressing trauma or your hurt or your drop moment, as Dr. Mitchell always states, if you don't recognize when that moment actually occurred or that you even have a moment, you can't really do anything about it. And so we're thankful um, that that space provides that. And I think just another piece, and, and given that I'm from Philly and I didn't know about the Black Men Heal, but I think that's sort of indicative and very timely hmm. of sort of understanding that as people of color, we often don't have that, you know, sort of space or lens to look through because 
some of us in certain communities have been trained not to talk about our hurt and or not to seek professional help and support uh, for it. And so we're happy that we're starting to expand the work. It's already started as a unit, but starting to expand the work on on that whole healing and addressing um, that hurt and impact that people have had in their lives. Can I share a, a story? Uh, I'll get chills here listening to this conversation because it's touching on really the humanity uh, that has been shown by Director Booth and was inherited by Linda and then passed on to me as a trainer. Um, So one of the uh, stories that I've been telling uh, several times since my experience working in Wyoming is, um, and since Director Booth mentioned his name already, is something that happened with um, Joel. Joel um, uh, went in when he was 17 years old and had served 25 years in prison. And while um, we were in doing the boot camp, um, it's it's 40 hours of intense training. We were there for five days. Um, We trained credible messages in the the community. However, Linda made it very clear that whatever we do for our young, our, our credible messages in the community, we want the men on the YME unit to experience the exact same thing. So because we have them in training for eight hours, we often have a meal catered. Linda had made arrangements to have breakfast and lunch catered into the facility every day. And um, it came with a dessert. Yes. One of the significant moments that happened <laughs> is Joel um, um, saw a cake being brought in at lunchtime. And when he saw it, he uh, stood up and, and tears came to his eye. And um, so I caught him, you know, maybe about, you know, 15 minutes after. And I said, what happened? He was like, well, I call my mother my queen and I call my grandmother my superior queen. And my superior queen used to make me lemon cake all the time. Mm. So tonight I'm going to take that uh, lemon cake in my room and I'm going to have a conversation with my queen and my superior queen um, and go back to how I felt when I was 17 years old. Um, and for the people who truly love me at that age. And so now, even though I'm in uh, my 40s, um, I'm in a, I, I can connect because you've allowed me to connect with that young man that I was back then, and I'm a different man now, and I want to give that, that back out to the community if I'm ever afforded the opportunity to get out of here. That's, that moment gave me chills, and I've been sharing that story every time I get an opportunity. And stuff like that only happens with a person who has the mind state of director booth. But like I said, Linda adopted that, and she really wanted us to give the exact same experience that we would with our regular credible messages in the community. And and I saw the impact that it made there, but then I understood how Joel came out the next morning and was making such a strong uh, statement to the men that were on the unit um, who were younger than him. But he was saying, if you change your life, you can get out of here and, and be afforded opportunities that I may not get the opportunity to have. That's right. I remember the lemon cake moment and what what a powerful metaphor that is, um, that you, you can get your lemon cake. You can reconnect to who who you were and who you are inside and who you're going to be, you know, such a powerful moment and a, a powerful um, experience and just something which some may take for granted, but certainly Joel and others didn't, as you were said, for Linda um, to um, bring all that, to bring food in, you know, from the street, as they say, bring in street food, right, from outside of the institution was such a major um, experience um, uh, for things that we may take for granted. And I think this is all a part of what the YME is, and I think it's a part of, though, the larger vision that um, Director Booth is is fostering and and has implications, um, I think, for all of the Department of Correction and for anyone paying attention and interested in innovating on this work. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're just about out of time. I did just want to take one minute and ask Director Booth, um, uh, what's what's the what's the vision? What's the uh, the elevator speech on the vision for the YME and this larger framework of innovation? Is this going to grow? You think? 
So I think, uh, and, and thank you again for the opportunity, and again, I celebrate you and your continued work, and I appreciate the ongoing partnership uh, that we have. What I would say is that, because um, people have asked the question, will we be able to sort of expand the work? Um, I would love to, and there's things that we're actually exploring to be able to do it, but one of the things that I mentioned to you is that Why Me is a is on a unit um, that is a smaller unit, and on average, units are not that size. They're sometimes double and sometimes right. triple. And so there's elements that we have already started to incorporate within our professional development and training for all staff. Um, but to be able to sort of scale this is I don't actually physically have the space to be able to do it because – we don't have that many housing units to be able to make smaller units to sort of keep the fidelity to sort of the community um, that we're talking about. And so it's, it's no right. different that to be candid with you. Remember you and I were in college and we were in a college, excuse me, if we were in a classroom that was 30 people, we were good. We went into that lecture hall yeah. with a hundred and 200 people. It's a different, it's, it's a different, it's a different experience. dynamics and a different but experience. It's a two, it's a good point. And there, there are obviously some structural, physical, mm -hmm. financial number of challenges, which we could spend and we'll continue the conversation um, the next time we get together. But the point is you've not just planted the seed, you've demonstrated what can be done and you're demonstrating it on a daily basis. And I think that's the most powerful uh, takeaway from this work, right? That, that in closing and what I'll say is that as long as I have breath in my body and this is a chapter that I'm operating in, I will always operate through the lens of love uh, because these are our people. This is us. The bulk of the people in this space look like you and I, and we need them back in our communities. And the only way you sort of get um, sort of the things that you and I know that we need is that we have to approach this through love. And on those words, we're going to um, say goodnight to our audience. And I want to thank all of our guests, Charles uh, uh, Dotson, Quincy Booth, and of course our co-host, Linda Harley Harper. And thanks to our amazing engineer, um, Sierra Shine on the Wheels of Steel. And in fact, Sierra Shine is up next with Sankofa with Shine, WPFW's program dedicated to sharing uh, intergenerational knowledge. And at 8 p.m., it's Lovethology with Donald Temple. Also tune in to Dr. Richard Wolf and Economic Update tomorrow at 6 p.m. Peace and blessings. International Women's Day 2020 is an equal world is an enabled world. Equality is not a women's issue, it's a human issue. 
Gender equality is essential for all of us to thrive. Listen to WPFW from midnight until midnight, Sunday, March 8th, as we celebrate the contribution of women and girls around the planet. The programming will also explore how we all can shift our individual actions, conversations, and behaviors to create a gender-equal world that will be healthier, wealthier, and more harmonious for us all. WPFW, your station for jazz and justice, serving the collective need and imagination of the community. Our wisdom cannot be lost. Our spirits cannot be broken. Our wisdom cannot be lost. And our spirits cannot be broken. Our wisdom cannot be lost. Mm-hmm. 